Hello friends, Kyle here. You know, I spend a lot of my time thinking about how to interview people. And no one has ever asked me about that process. And as many of you know, I've been on the road for the last three months, recording podcasts, writing articles, which you can check out on my website, kyle.surf. Uh, just uploaded a new one with writer Tim Cahill. I, uh, wrote a story about him that you might dig. Anyway, I've been uh, on this trip meeting a lot of podcast listeners, and it's been really great. And one of these guys is a river rafting guide named Eric Rist. Uh, he listens to this show. He opened his home to me, did some fun trips down, down the river in Salida. And one night he said, hey, man, um, you know, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Would you mind if maybe I interviewed you? And I said, sure, let's do it. So I busted out my podcasting equipment. Honestly, didn't expect much of it because when you just start out interviewing for the first time, it doesn't tend to be good. But Eric was very thoughtful. He was prepared. And he asked me some of the more insightful questions I felt um, I've ever been asked about my process starting this podcast and a bit more into the nuts and bolts about how I conduct interviews and some of the strategies that I use. We also talk a lot about my uh, early years from when I was 18 to maybe 28 and the projects that I was doing then. So for anyone who wants to improve their own interviewing skills um, or maybe start their own podcast, I hope that this audio can be helpful for you. And I certainly enjoyed it. I hope you do too. So please welcome to the show, Eric Rist, interviewing me. Um, so we just jumped right into this, into this first podcast and the... The focus of this podcast is essentially going to be taking a deep dive look at people's uh, creative endeavors and taking a look behind the curtain at the nuts and bolts of the really the process that that they do. And um, Kyle, you're my first guest. Um, Kyle Tierman. Yep, that's I, it. Got it right. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, Kyle is a pro surfer, um, sponsored by Patagonia helps, helps them out with testing their gear, podcaster, producer, filmmaker. Um, and yeah, and I watched your, your Ted talk, my TEDx talk yeah, in, your in, TEDx. in the wetsuit, in the wetsuit. Oh yeah. Half naked in Half front naked. of a giant crowd talking about the banking system. That was bold. Thank you. Yeah. That was the first project that I did on, uh, it was on the impact that people can have socially and environmentally through where they keep their money because there's this really leveraged influence that you can have by where you bank. And most people don't think about the fact that when you put your money into a bank, that money doesn't stay there. It's being lent out to underwrite various projects that you may or may not agree with. And certain banks have reputations for financing the scorching of the earth, uh, like Bank of America. Um, and a number of years ago, I made a short documentary about 
a proposed coal power plant that they were financing in Chile and uh, recommended that people move their money into local banks and credit unions um, because your money is also lent out within those institutions, but it tends to be lent out within your community, not sucked halfway around the world. Yeah, it's so important too. And it, it's funny it's it's funny that you, you did that TED Talk and I watched it this morning that I've literally been trying to close my Wells Fargo account for the, <laughs> the last two years and yeah. I've been trying to find a good you know local credit union or bank to put it into and just haven't got my act together. Yeah. And, and watching your TED Talk this morning, I'm like, I got to just do that. I got to well, pull this trigger. The thing that's cool about the banking switch is that it's one decision. It takes one day to move it all over. And then you have all of your money working for you in a more positive way. And that's not it's not like that with most things that we do, right? Like if you're trying to lose weight or get in shape, you need to show up to the gym or do your morning workout every single day to keep that up. Um, or whatever it is trying to reduce plastic or, you know, pick up some trash from the beach or along the river. It's like, that's an act that you need to take on every single day. Whereas banking, it's just one move. And then it's highly leveraged because banks allow, there's a law called fractional reserve lending, which allows banks to lend out many times more money than they have on deposit. So it creates a more leveraged impact for everyday people. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I was going to mention that because, because I didn't hear that in the Ted talk. I was like, Ooh, it's not just your money. It's yeah. like 10 times it's all the money, money they create. As yeah. Well. It's all the fake money they yeah. get to lend out yeah. for every dollar that you have in there. And they get to lend out $10. Exactly. That's in your community. So it's, it's that much more amplified, um, which is, uh, which is makes a huge difference. Yeah. You know? Cause if you're, if your money's going towards, you know, the XL pipeline, it's 10 times your money is going towards that versus 10 times in the community. Yeah. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into you know I I I was hoping to get into your podcast and and kind of break down uh, and take a look um, at your process in in podcasting. Um, how did you how did you get started in it? Sure. So I was making short form documentaries for a number of years um, from when I was eighteen to maybe twenty five, twenty six. Um, I was making these short documentaries about various environmental and social issues around the world. Um, I'm really lucky in that I, um, from the time that I was about 18, had the support from the outdoor company Patagonia. Um, never was you know an A-grade pro surfer or anything like that, but they sponsored me and would support me to travel to various surf spots. And from there, I, I come from a filmmaking background. A lot of people in my family are filmmakers. Um, I started asking questions and was really just kind of drawn to journalism. Uh, and it was around the same time that the cameras were getting cheap and YouTube had arrived. And for a relatively low cost, I could make these short form videos, um, about everything from coral reef bleaching to plastic pollution, um, to the banking system. And, uh, I really, it, it was a blast for me to be able to go on these kinds of adventures and go on trips where I had a, a goal in mind, something I wanted to accomplish. I was, I've never traveled just to check a place out. It's, it, it has pretty much always been to chase a story or, or chase a wave. 
Um, and I find that you can get a lot more deeply into the culture and just get yourself into crazier places when you set off with some kind of specific goal, whether it's like, I want to interview this person for my podcast, or I want to make this video. Um, cause otherwise you get funneled into this river of tourism that so many foreigners get funneled into when they visit a place like Indonesia, right? Like I went to Bali and rather than just like going and hanging out in Kuta and, you know, checking out all the bars, like I was interviewing people about plastic pollution and they were taking me to all these secret dumps that were just like crazy and so far out of the normal tourist pathway. But those are the, the experiences that would really stick with me. And along those trips, one thing that I found to be kind of frustrating with the format of short form video is how much I would have to condense the story and how much nuance I had to leave out. Um, because I was convinced that people wouldn't sit through a video that was longer than 10 minutes. And I think that largely that was, you know, some of that is true. Some of it isn't true. If you look like a, at a documentary like Coney 2012, that's way longer than 10 minutes and it went totally viral because it's just a really good story. I, I still think that storytelling is the most important thing. Um, regardless of medium and regardless of length. But for me, I, I felt frustrated that I had to leave out a lot of characters, a lot of nuances in the story and kind of oversimplify them in a way that didn't feel always super satisfying to me. Um, and at the same time that I was making all this stuff, I was not looking up to other YouTubers because um, some people crush on YouTube. Some people are making millions and millions and millions of dollars by being daily vloggers or weekly vloggers because the way it works is if you get your subscriber count high enough on YouTube, you can put out a video and guarantee that it will get you know half a million views, which is worth a ton to sponsors. Um, so it really is just all about like the, the name of the game with winning YouTube is consistency. Um, so there are people who have been doing a video every single day on YouTube for the last six years and they're making millions and millions of dollars, but I would watch most of these people, um, Casey Neistat or there's a guy named fun for Louie and they're absolutely crushing it. But most of the content that they're putting out is fucking vapid. Like it's just, Hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store today and now I'm on my run and like, Hey, check me out. Check me out. It's very, it's, it's the selfie cam. Right, it's like the selfie generation. Just look at me. Don't be curious. And I just always thought that that was so lame. And and at the same time that I was doing these stories on the platform of YouTube, you know, the people that were coming and content and commenting on the the videos that I was making were like fourteen year old kids. It felt like, and it was just a lot of like hate and weirdness. And it didn't feel like I was cultivating a community. And while I was doing all this, I was listening to Joe Rogan. I was listening to Tim Ferriss, these guys that are really intensely curious people and I think have largely had their success because of that quality. Um, you know, hosting a podcast, a lot, a lot of it is just about asking the right questions and then getting out of the way. And I also found that podcasting is this medium where all of a sudden – Everyone has two extra hours in their day to consume content. 
and they're not going to be able to watch a YouTube video while they're driving or working out um, or doing yard work or something, but they'll listen to podcasts, right? So all of a sudden, it kind of clicked for me like, what? These are the people who I respect. This is the content that I'm listening to. And I am a surfer who has access and has, has built up all this access to other professional surfers who I can speak to as peers, as well as various journalists and environmental activists um, through all this documentary work. Why don't I just give it a shot? Um, and, and, you know, f in serendipitously, right at, at the time that I was considering it, I got a Facebook message from this kid named Brendan who was my age and he had been following some of the early documentaries that I was doing. And he said, Hey man, like you should do a podcast. Uh, and I was like, dude, you, you just came into my life at the exact right time. And he was just graduating college in UC, at UC Santa Cruz, which is where I um, grew up in Santa Cruz. And he helped me for the first few weeks with some of the sound engineering, some of the early setup. It's pretty basic though. I mean, you saw it, it's all in a backpack here. Mm -hmm. And, um, then shortly after he helped me. He started started a CBD company called Santa Cruz Medicinals, which absolutely started crushing it. And they became the first sponsor of the podcast. Um, they're still the sponsor, and they're right? still the sponsor every <laughs> single episode. But I I remember sitting down. So this would have been a little over four years ago for the, the first episode of my podcast, um, and it was with a a buddy of mine who I had respected for a long time. He was a vice correspondent and Navy SEAL named Kaj Larson. I'm still friends with him. And he's been on my podcast a couple times since then. But I asked that that he come on the show and I prepped for it. And we talked for an hour, hour and a half. And I remember when he we stopped, he was like, you're really good at this. And I was like, I feel like I'm pretty good at this. And it was like one of these things where I was like, oh, I like, you know, I've obviously grown a lot since then, but it was something that right from the get off, get go, I, I felt, okay, I have a, a, a unique makeup that could, that this could really work for. And then I just started trying to get interviews with anyone I could and fell in love with it. And four years later, it's how I make most of my money. That's awesome. How do you get the, what's your process of getting interviews? How did it, how did it go in the beginning and how does it go now? Good question. So first I, sir, I, um, wrote down who my immediate circle was. So who are, who are some of the most interesting people I know? And interesting is kind of a nothing word. It doesn't yeah. really mean anything except that who am I curious to sit down with? Um, so I wrote out a list of, of people and on that list was, uh, a bunch of professional surfers who I was friends with, uh, a couple filmmakers who I knew. And then what happens from there is that there's this kind of like fractal result where you interview someone and if they like you, then they want to introduce you to one of their friends. Right. So it's like, uh, your network just starts to grow in this kind of fractal way. Mm. And every once in a while you'll, you know, meet someone like Chris Ryan who wrote sex at dawn and has, is, has a wildly popular podcast called tangentially speaking. And he's like 
a super networker, right? So you meet someone like Chris and then it just opens every once in a while in life. I think we all have these experiences where a door opens up for you and it takes you into a new world. Um, and that's happened for me a couple times with podcasting. And I met you through Chris. How did, how did you guys, how did you and Chris meet? How did that door open? Sure. I had been doing my podcast for maybe two years and I, the way that you, like a, one way that you grow a podcast is by getting on other people's podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably the most effective way, right? Like Chris mm-hmm. built his audience because of being on Joe Rogan's podcast many times, right? It's, mm-hmm. I would I would bet that ninety percent of Chris's listeners came from Joe Rogan. Did Chris have a podcast before Joe Rogan? Before you went on. Yeah, yeah. He, he he was when Sex at Dawn came out about ten years ago. Um, a guy named Duncan Trussell reached out to uh, him yeah. and asked Chris if he wanted to be on his podcast. And they pressed record and talked shit for an hour and a half. And okay. Chris was like, "Whoa, that was fun." And Duncan's like, "Yeah, man, you should do your own show. Like, you're really yeah. good at this." And uh, Chris, you know, learned about some of the you know the kind of money that duncan's making from his podcast right. and chris was like wow that's interesting this is really fun mm-hmm. um so he started his own and then duncan introduced him to joe and then they have that really great dynamic and chris's uh podcast grew from that so so to but to just kind of sharpen the the answer of how i get guests um and then i'll, I'll tell you how i met chris um Sometimes I will just reach out to them through email, and there is a real strategy that we could talk about going, yeah, that's going what I want through to get that. Into um, the people you don't really know, that yeah. You're trying to- but I met Chris because I reached out to him on a cold email, cold call cold email, cold email yeah. and said, "Hey, I'm Kyle." Um, I said, "I, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm a professional surfer." I host a podcast and I put a link to a little video that had been made about some of the work that I had done. It was like a, a four minute compilation video of some of the past documentary work that I had done. And I said, uh, and I had also done a podcast recently prior to that with a guy named Jim Fadiman who wrote a book called the psychedelic explorers guide mm. who I knew Chris had probably heard of. So I said, I, this is who I am like one sentence uh, here's a quick video on me. One sentence. Um, here, I've here are some of the people I've had on my podcast. Um, you know, I would really love to come on your show. I get that you probably receive these emails every day, and I totally understand if you don't have time to get back to me, um, Kyle. So it was probably in all a four sentence email, and I really, um, I think the biggest thing with emails, and we can get more deeply into this because it's a, it's a dark art is you want to always um come at it acknowledging how busy that person is Mm -hmm. if you're batting above your weight like you need to don't say something like oh like thanks for your thanks for getting back to me or like i look forward to your response like they'll just be like fuck you dude i have probably 10 to i mean at the time chris was probably getting i don't know 20 times 30 times as many emails as i get so I find that just being very respectful and understanding and saying things like, if you don't have time to respond to me, I totally get it. Thank you for reading this far is a really mm-hmm. effective line. Mm-hmm. But he got back to me mm-hmm. and said, I, you know, 
sure you sound no he he said he he got back to me and he said he said normally when people um propose that i have them on my podcast it i delete the email immediately Mm -hmm. in your case it looks like you're doing some interesting stuff i'd be happy to have you on oh i was like yes so that's so cool then um I mean, more than more than anything, Chris has just helped me become a better thinker, and we've developed a friendship. You know, he's he's one of my best friends now, um, and it all started because of a, a sneaky little email that I sent him. Yeah, and then you guys and you were going to kind of jump around here, I think, but um, you guys did the motherfucker awards. Yep, yep. together we did. So is, yeah, so which Chris, is a big commitment. Yeah, so Chris and I. Uh, became friends you know i went down and hung out with him and then we uh started doing more podcasts together and we went on a couple trips together and then one day i was down in topanga where he lives or lived for a while um i would crash in his van outside Mm -hmm. and we were talking about earth day which was coming up and he's and uh we were kind of joking about how mother earth is losing and we should be celebrating the winners so we talked about we we came up with this idea that like why don't we actually celebrate the winners and create some kind of awards show to celebrate the ones that were fucking mother earth mm-hmm. the motherfucker awards I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh that's a funny idea uh and chris was like well you know you do it <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm happy to provide <laughs> the some some contacts and resources but you know this is this, you do the heavy lifting. You do the heavy lifting. And uh that ended up being two years of my life. Yeah, and I'd it, if we have enough time, I'd love to get into the process of producing that show. Cause sure. that that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Wherever if happy to go into that, or if you want to talk about that later, your call. Yeah. We'll just we'll just jump around. But um you know, and I think this kind of I'd like to get back to the emails, sure. Um, and I think it kind of it crosses over probably the motherfucker awards. I'm sure that you reached out to a lot of people and you did a lot of emailing. And, yep. Um, do you what what was what's your process? You know, is there a difference? Was there a difference between the motherfucker awards and and your podcast? No, not people? not really. I mean, there's uh, it. You're really trying to convince someone to say yes who is very busy. And doesn't need to say yes to you and mm-hmm. is largely doing you a favor, yep. right? In, unless you have a podcast that has an audience size that is so big you are doing them a favor, um, for a long time, every guest is essentially doing you a favor, doing you a favor right? Yep. So um, I have found that the way to get people to say yes to you and get them to do favors for you is to um, – make them feel respected. So acknowledging that you have either read their work or that you, you know who they are Mm -hmm. and it doesn't need to be long, but just something like if they're an author on the podcast, like, Hey, you know, I read your book. It had a really big influence on me. Um, you know, as a, whatever. And then, um, if you can also use humor mm-hmm. and some kind of like, I don't know, self deprecating line or, um, the motherfucker words is easy because just the concept gets a laugh out of people. Right. Um, 
that can be really effective. And if there's someone that they know, like if it's a, for example, if I'm trying to get someone on my podcast who is an author, I will say other guests have included, you know, Matt Taibbi, Chris Ryan, people who they might know, right? Mm-hmm. Or if they're a surfer, I will call. I will say other surfers who have been on the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times, people, busy people, are are they have a million things going on, and they just want to know that you're legit, you know. And yep. ju- and by naming someone else who's been on the show adds a kind of credibility. Sure. Um, with the mofas, uh, just by saying the concept got a lot of people to say yes mm-hmm. because. Beneath the, the humor, there's rage in in the idea of the motherfucker awards, right? Like mm-hmm. it's at its core, it's a protest, and there are a lot of smart people out there, both comedians and journalists, who are really pissed off about the raping of the planet, and it's difficult for them to express it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's hard as a comedian to come up with a funny bit about the environment. You don't see many of them doing that. And as a journalist, you know, there are people who are dedicating a ton of their time to talking about this stuff, but it's hard to talk about something that's a bummer because you're competing with comedy, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if, if it's 7 p.m. and you've had a rough day, you want to watch a documentary about fucking climate change or do you want to watch, you know, Chappelle's new special, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to laugh. So yeah. um, a lot of people said like, you know, big – busy people like uh, Moshe Kasher and Tasha Legero, who are very famous comedians who, who yeah, did it. Um, Matt Taibbi, who's a very famous journalist, did it. I think largely because it gave them an avenue to talk about something in a way that would be fun and funny. Yep. You know? Um, it, and it was also an assignment. Like that's that was something that I think um, really resonated with them is like it gave the journalists a chance – to be in theater a little bit, right? Because the journalists would present the awards like it was an Academy Award and they would read the three nominees. You know, J.P. JP Morgan Chase is the number one financier of dirty energy globally. You know, and they would really like ham it up and then mm-hmm. the comedians would come on and accept the awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so the spirit of that got a lot of people to say yes. Um, and then... Once we did it the first time, it was a lot easier to get people to say yes the next time because there's a hell of a big difference between a great idea and a great project. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, yeah, uh, that's a lot of work to pull that off. But I'm really happy I did because COVID happened and we're not doing live events anymore. Right. <laughs> so, did you get any? Um... Did you get any – was there any response from, from the corporate world or was there any blowback or did you see anything from that? No, because it's a kind of a anti-fragile model in the sense that if Coca-Cola sues us for defamation or uh, calling them out, mm-hmm. it just becomes a bigger story. So what a lot of these companies will do is um, – they will just try and ignore it as best as possible. Mm-hmm. But we did place our chips on a few issues um, that really hit. For example, we gave PG&E the uh, 
the award in the fire cat- category mm. right as the forest fires were starting. Mm. And then in the months after, there was a ton of publicity about PG&E. Also, uh, for the first year, we gave Purdue Pharmaceutical the spirit uh the spirit win for outstanding efforts to break the human spirit. (laughs) And, uh, then shortly after they filed for bankruptcy. So we took full credit for that, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I was, it was well-researched and Mm -hmm. that was a huge amount of the work, right. Is, is making sure that we were right. And it's not easy to do. I'm, I'm spending the year working with journalists, um, investigating, an issue that I think is going to be timely um, and we want to roast them in an intelligent way, mm-hmm. right? So the the um, story that we kind of fell on with each of the, the nominees as best we could was to highlight the relationship between corporations, lobbying groups, and government. Mm. So a lot of the nominees would have one of three in them and show how – the corporation was paying, you know, basically paying off some politician mm-hmm. to create legislation that would benefit the corporation and shift the burden onto the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. I'm I'm almost um I just read actually today that uh, PG and E just skipped out on. They got uh, skipped out on, I think, 90 years of, of prison sentences for the fires. Whoa. Something like that. I saw a posting and somebody put, guess corporations aren't people. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, when you um, – when you – when you're getting some, when you've actually, when you've gotten through to somebody and they've agreed to do the podcast or, or an interview um, – What's your what's your thought process at that point for for trying to schedule? Well, um, I usually will send them a few times that they can choose between. Mm-hmm. The goal is to get them to think as little as possible, mm-hmm. right? And just get them Make to it as easy. As you possible want that you want them to just be able to say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I if I'm booking someone, um. Usually, usually in the first email, I won't I won't set up a few. Uh, it kind of depends on who it is, but sometimes I will send out like three different times in bullet points mm-hmm. and say, "Do any of these work for you?" If there's another time that works better, I'm totally flexible. Um, but that tends to help because then they can just pick one time and say yes to it. Uh, but. I, it's also opened up the doors since COVID because prior to this, I was not doing um, uh, I was not doing remote interviews, and mm-hmm. now I am. And I think that doing remote interviews is really smart for early podcasters because it allows you to get guests that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. You know, you're not going to travel halfway around the country to you know talk to Lawrence Lessig or something like that, uh, but you can interview him for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I usually try and keep the interviews to about an hour. Cause I'm now at this place where like I do, I do have an audience and it is exposing new people to a world that they otherwise wouldn't. Right. Um, someone like Lawrence Lessig is now he's reaching much like surfers and hunters and outdoor people, but it's not huge enough that he's going to like see a huge bump in his 
like sales or something like that of his book. So I, so with those kinds of people, I try and keep the interviews typically to one hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you have going into it? Did you have thoughts? Uh, were you anti doing it remotely? Yeah, well, I just uh, felt like there was a lot of warmth that was lost with remote interviews. Yeah. One thing that is lost is your ability to banter back and forth uh, because there's a little bit of a delay. So you need to be more precise with the questions that you ask and then Mm. shut up. Mm -hmm. But I do think that doing remote interviews can actually make you a better interviewer because it forces you to ask more precise questions. Mm. And even in the last few months through COVID, I do think that I've gotten better at the the craft of podcasting through remote interviews and i'm going to continue to do that but it's just not as fun yeah you know if it's like it it, this is fun you know it's it's, there's nothing better than like smoking a bowl and talking shit with someone and like you're just going off having a blast and then you're like wow that was work yeah (laughs) how awesome was that um so yeah for, for a while i was anti but then was forced into it and now I'm willing to do both. Hmm. How do you, uh, how do you balance, you know, like when you say that you, you know, it just flies by and you have a great time. How do you balance that with, uh, trying to keep, you know, be comprehensive about all the questions that you want to ask? Oh yeah. Well, being having a natural conversation, but also trying, you want to get good stuff out of them. Yeah. And and you got stuff that you want to hit. Yeah. Well, this is, this is good stuff, right? Because this is what I think about all the time. And there's no one way to do a podcast. You can do one where you're just asking precise questions. Mm -hmm. And if you have someone who is, uh, super smart and, and you only have them for an hour and you want to get as much good info out of them as possible, come in prepared and ask those questions. Um, however, sometimes just asking one question after the next, after the next, after the next can get a little bit exhausting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is, is intuitive. If I feel like the guest is getting worn out, sometimes I'll, I'll, uh, tell one of my own stories because at the end of the day, um, sometimes you know people are coming to the podcast because of you. So there's a there's a real balance that you need to find, and and there's no right way to do it. Rogan probably talks half of his podcasts. I would bet that that's mm-hmm. it's average. He's talking as much or even more than his guests. Um, Tim Ferriss tends to just ask very good, very well-researched, precise questions. I think that if that uh, when I started out, I really relied on um, both my access to good guests as well as preparation and making sure that I had some good questions written down because I couldn't rely on my ability to riff and tell my own stories. Mm-hmm. Over the four years of doing it, I feel now that if a guest is is weak or nervous or just like not giving me good stuff, I can start to tell some of my own stories and have fun and we can come away with a decent product. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's um, – that's, that's kind of I think part of everyone, every podcaster's own journey is to decide who, you know, who they want to show up as. And, um, for me, it really ebbs and flows depending on who I'm interviewing. If it's a surfer and I want to just 
hang out and have fun, um, I'll talk a lot because I do think that that some that people listen to podcasts um, for various reasons. Sometimes they want to get the best possible information. Sometimes they just want to hang out, mm-hmm. right? I, I know a lot of people who feel isolated in their in their neighborhoods. They don't don't feel like they can hang out with other people, or you know, there's just no one who's like minded. Um, and but they really resonate with the podcasts that they listen to, right? They f- and and they feel like that host is their friend. They've listened to them enough. And that's the depth that you get from the medium of podcasting that I don't think you can get nearly as as well through a medium like YouTube. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Um so so yeah, it it depends if I and and I try and balance it, right? I try and have a few people on who are you know, just fun and hanging out and we're, we're cruising. And then a few super geniuses who, and the interviews are really like, okay, like let's, let's get ready and do this. And those ones are, are more nerve wracking for me. Mm-hmm. If I'm sitting down to interview someone like Lawrence Lessig, whose work I've followed forever. He's a Harvard law attorney who does a lot of work on campaign finance reform. He's busy. He's really smart. And I want to ask him good questions. Um, and that's something that I prepare for. So I think that once you're starting out, when you're starting out, it's a really good insurance policy to be well-researched and have these kinds of questions written down. And then as you get better, you can learn how to riff more and kind of go off on tangents or maybe not go, maybe not ask any of the questions that you prepared because there's a better interview that you had no idea about. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare? How, how do you approach preparing and, and how do you f- find the questions? Sure. So with someone like uh, Dr. Keltner, who is uh, – um, he's a um, scientist, does a lot of work on um, human behavior. He's a professor at UC Berkeley. I In interviewed awe. him. Yeah. 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 He does a lot of work on, on the emotion of awe. Mm-hmm. So I had a remote interview scheduled with him and – I hadn't read his book, so and I wasn't gonna read his book before the interview. It was I, you know, if I was better, I would have read the book before the interview. But I was, you know, I'm doing three interviews a week, and I was just like, I can't, I'm not gonna read it. But no. how do I at least show that I've read up on this guy? So I listened to another podcast that he had been on, mm. and then I wrote down my own questions. From as you went through the as podcast. I went through that because then I at least knew like okay this is who this guy is um, and I asked a couple questions early on like can you talk about the rafting experience so he took soldiers with PTSD down a river um, to show the impact that like nature and wilderness experiences can have on PTSD which is it's really interesting stuff and, and is very effective. But I asked him that specific question, which showed him that I knew about some of his research, which made him respect me a little bit more, which then opened us up into a better interview. Mm-hmm. So makes him comfortable. Makes too. him comfortable, right? So having a few specific questions that show that I have read his work, at least some of it, um, and asking a couple of those early on can really help. Um, so that's how I prepared for that interview. Do you just sorry? Do you write that? Do you like have notes like like you know I've got some notes in front of me, or do you feel like 
that or do you try to memorize them and mm. so that you're not looking away from your guests? No, I will I think the best way to do it is to write it all down prior if you're in person. Mm-hmm. Write it all down prior and then close the notebook mm-hmm. because you want people to forget that they're being interviewed. Yep. Ultimately, that's the that's how you're going to get the best audio. Um, and sometimes if you're constantly looking down at your notebook, it can get them back into interview mode. Yeah. But the advantage of doing remote interviews is that they can't really tell what you're looking at because they're not in the room with you. Right. So it allows you to hold, have notes there. Mm, okay. And I think that people, if, if you're just getting going, having a, a notepad with some questions is totally fine. People appreciate that you're respecting their time and that you've thought about the interview prior. Um, so, so I will, I tend to, the, the way that I will prep for an interview and just kind of get the gears going. Um, if it's someone who's like a super genius who I know I want to ask a bunch of questions to, um, I will write down every possible question I could ever think to ask them. Mm-hmm. And it's just an exercise. I'll usually write down like 20 questions and, mm-hmm. and you know, 15 of them will be bad, but it will get, it's like the thing that makes the good questions come. It's very similar to a writing exercise actually mm-hmm. is, is figuring out how to write questions. Um, it's like, there's no bad questions in that first draft. Mm-hmm. And then I can circle a few of those better questions. And, uh, that's usually what I'll what I'll go for. And I may not even ask those, but at least then I, then I know I'm not going to get caught with my pants down. That's what you don't want as a podcast host. You do not want them to answer a question and you to not have a next question or next cogent thought ready. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's like a scary moment where you're like, Oh shit. And it's just, you know, silence is the enemy of radio. They say, so how much does that happen to you? It, it tends to have, uh, how, how often does it happen to me? It's happened to me a couple times, but, um, I'm pretty good at thinking on my feet. Sometimes I will nervously launch into a rant when I should have maybe gone deeper and like mm. ask the follow-up question. Mm-hmm. So I jump to another subject, right? right? Like a lot of times the best question is like the follow-up or like the third question, right? Like you just asked me how I prepared and then you asked me right then, you know, how often has that happened to you? Yeah. Which was a follow-up so question. not having a question to ask. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, but that's, but we're getting into better audio here now, right? Because I can think about like, oh, maybe there was that time when I, you know, totally got caught, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, I, I actually can't think of a specific example of, of just getting caught dead in the water. Cause I'll usually just a, a good way. If I don't have a next question ready is to then tell my own story similar to what they just said mm-hmm. or my own experience. Joe mm-hmm. Rogan does this a lot. And it's not that he doesn't have another question to, to add, but he just wants to give the guests some time to breathe. And he thinks that, and he's an entertainer, so he has something good to say. So let's, let's say that I just tell a story. I just told you a story about surfing. You could then say, oh, well, in Salida, you know, we have this river wave and sometimes I go out and surf it, but like, you know, we use dry wetsuits, like these dry suits, not wetsuits. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And then boom, we're off to the races into mm-hmm. a new, um, into a new subject. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking uh I meant to actually ask you this before the interview started, but um what's your what's your approach um mentioning say uh banned substances? Are you cuz Oh yeah, I do psychedelics all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm you know, that's uh I I do yeah, I that's So you have no well, problem. We, well, yeah, well hey, we have we have basically like a two <laughs> completely separate um system for white people and black people talking about drugs, right? Mm. <laughs> Which is just kind of insane that like I'm, you know, middle class white kid and just feel like zero fear to talk about like doing ecstasy and right. and mushrooms, whereas like right. it's still getting a ton of people of color thrown in prison. Yeah. You know, for using those substances. Uh, but I yeah, I, I talk about it. I've found that um I've just tried to be as honest as possible. Mm-hmm. Similarly to the incentives that I was talking about with YouTube being geared towards self-centeredness and kind of vapid take on life. You know, it's very image oriented and it's very like, check me out. I'm in this place. I think that podcasting is, it really is incentivized towards honesty and trust because if your listeners find out that you're lying to them, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's the reason that like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, Mm -hmm. what is it that makes them so, so huge? It's the trust. Is mm-hmm. if if Tim says something, I know he's researched it and I trust him. Yep. And Rogan, that dude will not lie. He you, you see him take on these issues, and he's really he's really coming at it from as true a place as he can, mm-hmm. and that gives him all the power. Yeah, I always notice he um, just like the just the little things of you know he'll say yeah he'll mention that he yeah. We did uh, we did some mushrooms allegedly. You know they they're always throwing in the yeah to well, cover ma- themselves maybe, legally. But yeah, maybe I'm. I, I like it that you're. No, maybe I'm stupid. I, I like it that you're open about <laughs> it. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think that if more people do it, it becomes it's sort of the emperor has no clothes. Well, I'm so many people do psychedelics, and exactly. I can tell you from doing a podcast that you become and you talk about this stuff openly mm-hmm. that. Pretty much every professional athlete I've ever had on the show also has had similar drug experiences to me. They might just not talk about it because they are reliant on sponsors yep. who could drop them right. uh, if they talk about it, which I totally get. I actually did a pro- I did a podcast with a professional surfer recently, and we were talking about smoking weed, and he was in Hawaii. And then after the show, he called me back and said, it, it turns out the laws around weed in Hawaii are not what I thought. And we mm. couldn't release the podcast because he said, I still have some companies that owe me money and they will do anything Ooh. they can to get out of that contract. Right. Uh, and if they find out I've been smoking weed and talking about it publicly, they could uh, they could not pay me, which I totally get. I, I have... I'm lucky in the sense that I was never good enough a pro surfer or getting paid enough money that it was worth it for me to be just, just not dishonest about anything. Um, and I also know that the reason why people want to listen to my show is because I'm honest and open Mm -hmm. about this kind of stuff. Um, and I now make 
more money from my podcast than I do from surfing. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm I'm all in now on <laughs> you know talking about everything. Yeah. It's and it's got to be liberating to you that you don't have to to be fake about it or to not quite be as Dude, open I, about I it. I know some pro athletes who have to put on this face and it looks excruciating. Mm. I'd rather be What's that line? I'd rather be loved for who I am, or I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. Yeah. It's got to be exhausting, too. I think I heard somewhere somebody compared it to having to walk around in really high heels all day and or try to, like, or maybe it was, uh, like, trying to, to walk around like they're taller, like on yeah. your tippy toes yeah. kind of thing. And totally. It would be exhausting to oh, yeah. try to do that and, all day long. And, you know, when you have people like Rogan in the game who are honest, it shows the emperor has no clothes yeah. when you see these people who try and curate their personalities publicly. It's like, wait, we all know you're faking it now. Yeah. Because the difference between you and someone who's just going to be, for lack of a better word, authentic yeah. is so stark. Why don't you just just cut the shit, man? Yeah. Like, come on, we all we all jerk off and <laughs> we all smoke weed, and you know we we none of us have a pluses in morality, and yeah. not that that's even morally poor, but um, we. I think that when we show our flaws, um, it is it, it also shows our humanity. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that I could tell more pro athletes and people who kind of had to put up this curated personality is that I, I wish I could tell them that their flaws are what will give them power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. I, when I started watching Rogan or listening to Rogan, uh, which was a long time ago, it just it destroyed all media. It destroyed television yeah. and like TV. I was like, yeah. this is this is horrible to watch. Yeah, With commercials and and just the fakeness. Yeah, that, yeah, it's plastified. Yeah, and and if you yeah if you put it up against that other media, it's so stark. And you know what's funny is that when you represent honesty, which a lot of podcasts do, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm doing my best with mine, people will come on to my show and they'll say stuff that they would never say in other mediums, mm. right? Yeah. Like I now have pro surfers who will just come on my show and be like, all right. I want to tell you the story of me going down to Peru and doing ayahuasca, mm, or I want to like tell you, I want to tell you the story of, of my depression, you know, because mm. it's being an interviewer is, it, it's sacred in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, a, they say a good podcast can, th- can sound a lot like a good therapy session. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. Um, I think that a lot of people want to be seen um, they want their truth out there. Mm-hmm. And if you can provide that, that space for them to do it, um, it's a real honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you, have you had podcasts that have, you know, people have really come out with some crazy stuff? Oh yeah, dude. I had a pro surfer on maybe a year and a half ago and you know, midway through the podcast, he just stops and he's like, you know, when I was a kid i was molested by my surf team manager mm. and he tells a wow. story and that was the first time he'd come public first time it. he had talked about it wow. and i was like whoa man you sure you want to put this out there and he's like yeah man you know i want to 
people to know about it and know this kind of stuff happens. And it became this huge story. It was right at the height of the Me Too movement. Mm. So it became a story on Surfline and on, in the local paper. And he, it was it was kind of intense. I had never had that kind of response to an episode. And I think it was all good and supportive of, of it. But I don't think that he knew that he was going to have that kind of energy come at him from a statement that he made on my show sitting in my living room on my couch. Mm -hmm. That's, that's another thing about podcasting, right? It's like, we're just hanging out. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about the million people who are listening right now. Mm -hmm. And you can do that, right? It, it doesn't, that that's, I think the, the real advantage that podcasts have over other media mm -hmm. is that there's no studio crew and, um, people can really just be themselves, which is, as you said, why, a show like Rogan's blows so much other media out of the water is it. And Chris talks about this going on Rogan. He's like, it's so weird. You like, you go in there, you sit down, you hang out for a little bit, mm -hmm. you leave. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have like 40,000 new Instagram followers. Next time you log on <laughs> Instagram and like, yeah, your book goes from 200 to like number nine in mm -hmm. an hour. And you're like, Whoa, that's, that's weird. You know, yeah. it's not much different than what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what you want, right? You want, you want it to feel like the cameras aren't there. Well, and I love it. Every, almost every podcast he does, they get to the end. He's like, yeah, we've done three hours. And they're like, what? Well, yeah. How'd that happen? Oh, how'd that happen? Totally. It's like the same conversation every time that he's just a master at making people comfortable. Yeah. You, know, you can tell. And that's from that reaction every time. And it's like, wow, it just flew by. Yeah. There's a time warp. Yeah, he's he's uniquely good. Yeah, how, what's your? You know, we talked a little bit about it before the the mic started rolling, but what's your approach to making the the person you're interviewing feel comfortable at the beginning of the interview? Slip them sedative. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, actually, seriously, uh, booze can really help if if you have like one, you, one or two drinks. Uh, guests can yeah. really open up. Um, they, they call it the social lubrication for a reason. Right. Um, so booze is good. Uh, also starting out and asking him a few questions as their headphones are on and they're talking into the mic and just talking shit, asking what they had for breakfast, what they did that day before you start recording mm -hmm. can get them warmed up because I'm used to talking into a microphone and with headphones, but yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Right, like the sound is different. It totally. can feel more intense. You you kind of have that feeling. You can have that feeling on for a moment of of looking at yourself. You're hearing yourself. You're hearing too. yourself. Okay. Yeah, okay. this is weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. The sound of your voice isn't always what you think it is for the nope. first few hundred <laughs> times you listen to it. Right? Yeah. They say true self acceptance is being able to listen to a recording of yourself. <laughs> uh, Not there yet. Yeah. But, uh, I will ask people, I'll, I'll get them talking for five minutes usually before I press the red button. Mm -hmm. And then even when I press the red button, sometimes people can get a little stiff. So I won't use the first five minutes of the interview mm -hmm. and I'll get into it. I want to get in. You want, mm -hmm. you want to get into a, an awesome, the first question and the first topic is you is the most important mm -hmm. for sure, because you want to, you, but you say you don't use the first five minutes sometimes. 
I use the first good five minutes. Okay. I, you you want to start a podcast with a bang. So are you starting right? with your best question first? Knowing s- that you might not use the first five minutes? Mm, no, it's more like you and I are talking and I'm asking a few, uh, you know, I'm just getting you warmed up. Mm-hmm. But I know that the first at least subject I want to get into. It's less about the question, but the subject. I know I want that to be entertaining because if it sucks, people will just turn it off. Yeah. Like how many podcasts have you started listening to the first 10 minutes and you're like, eh, yeah. this is bad. Yep. What if 80 minutes in it got amazing? Right. Right. You want to make sure that the beginning is really good so it hooks people mm-hmm. and then they'll be willing to sit through some some air that's like you know not great in the middle mm-hmm. if you hooked him with the at the beginning mm-hmm. um so what play really well are stories right mm-hmm. people love stories we are programmed to listen to those motherfuckers like mm-hmm. that's how we remember things easiest so you'll start off telling a story either i'll start telling a story or i might say will you tell me the story of boom And it gets them straight into a story. Another thing that you want to do is get them to talk about something that's – it really depends on who you're talking to, right? So if I'm I'm having you on my show and I know it's probably the first podcast you've ever been on or one of the first few, I – my priority is to make you feel comfortable. So I might ask you a question about something or get you to tell a story about something that you're really comfortable talking about. Like you don't want to ask a real stumper to someone who's new to podcasting, right? Like, right. like I'm not going to be like, what's the most, what was the most significant moment of your life? Right. Like you don't, well, you want to get people talking. So I'd probably, if I had you on the show, I'd like probably ask you something about like river rafting or like prepping or like, what's the worst thing that can happen when river rafting you know like something that like i you know you fall out of the boat on yeah, mushrooms yeah fucking hey, yeah exactly yeah wouldn't that be horrible which allegedly allegedly i know happened. i know a guy who knows a guy <laughs> who that might have happened to recently um but there's uh i know that you're comfortable with the subject of river rafting mm-hmm. right so i will ask you about that, mm-hmm. right? Just to get you going. And right. then from there, I know that there's going to be a million other things that we can talk about, but it's going to get you, boom, we're off to the races. If I'm interviewing someone like Chris Ryan, who's done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and is right. not nervous at all, but is uh, what I want is for him to have a good time. Yeah. I want everyone who's on my show to have a good time. Um, and for him, like the last thing I'm going to ask him about first is like sex at dawn, mm-hmm. right? Because he's been asked about that a million and a half times. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask him about something that he's interested in, but doesn't get to talk about all the time. So what would you pick with Chris if you're? I mean, I've done I've done first time. I've done probably seven or eight podcasts with him. Yeah, but if you had, you know, say this was your first one. If what, this was the first one, I would ask would him. Pick? I would ask him about music. Because he mm. loves music, yeah. loves lyrics, knows so much about the history and and what the song meant at the time, and 
but he doesn't play an instrument and mm-hmm. most people don't know that he is super into music. Right. So I would ask him something about music. And that's, that is also the power of, of doing in-person, um, interviews or like meeting someone, uh, and hanging out with them for a day or two before you interview them. If you have mm-hmm. that luxury, for example, I, I did an interview with a guy named Peter Atia who was, um, he's very well known friends with like Tim Ferriss and Sam Harris and one of the foremost researchers on human longevity, super okay, genius. That, was he on Rogan? He's I been on Rogan. Yeah. He's been on Rogan. He has his own podcast and I went on a hunting trip that he, that, uh, he was on. Mm-hmm. So I had a week with this guy and I was kind of nervous to ask him to be on my show, but I then gained a relationship with him and we were like kind of hanging out and he was cool. And I asked, Hey, would you be on my show? And he's like, sure. Hey, we're hanging out in this hunting cabin. And for the days prior, I knew that he was really interested in politics, but is he's known as the human longevity guy. So people always ask him about the science mm. of biohacking. Right? right. So then when I got him on my podcast, and I also knew that he was into hunting, obviously, and it's something that he's getting into, right? right? So it's all a good subject. He's really excited. A about good it. subject with an expert is usually to find something that they're into, but not experts at, right? Because then they're in the development phase of it, mm-hmm. which makes them more engaged in it, yeah. Typically, than the thing that they've been doing for forty years. So I asked Peter about hunting, uh, and then I asked him about various aspects of politics that I knew that he was interested in. Uh, and he midway through said, man, I really appreciate you asking me about all this stuff and not that stuff that I'm normally, um, just saying asked just about the same stuff over and over. Yeah. So that's, that is the trick. If you get a big guest is, um, find that, that other thing that they're into. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, also, you know, beyond just asking, having a bunch of questions written down, I will at this point have a couple stories that I know that I want to tell. And I might even write down those stories because telling your own story can then be, uh, it can give um, a kind of energy to the interview mm-hmm. and keep it going. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I, so, so. I will do that sometimes as well, right? Um, like, uh, for example, I had a, I did an interview with a guy named Dr. Rick Hansen, um, which I think was one of my better podcasts. It's called the Neuro the Neuroscience of Lasting Happiness. That you were telling me about. Yes, it's a good one. I really want to listen. To that yeah, one. and I had done uh, a lot. I I had done some work with meditation and a meditation retreat. And I knew that there were a few stories within that experience that I wanted to talk about because he could probably add some good information to it. So those weren't even questions that I asked. They were just stories that I told. Uh-huh. And that gave uh, more life to the interview. So, Because that guy sounds really interesting. That podcast sounds really interesting. And I, I'm going to check it out. Was there anything in that interview that applied um, – because it seemed like so many interesting things applied to so many parts. Did you apply anything to your podcasting that you took out of what he was talking about? Uh, you mean like the uh, like techniques of lasting happiness? Or? Yeah, and because I, I think you mentioned that there is, you know, after you know, one of the things he suggests is after you do something amazing or something great that you take 
30 seconds yeah. and just think about how awesome it was. Yeah. Yeah. To sink in, form those new neural pathways. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I haven't taken anything directly from what he, from the advice that he gave and applied it to podcasting. I have taken it to my own mental, uh, you know, Mm. habits of self-loathing and self-criticism, which I'm trying to get a better relationship with. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes after a podcast that I think I don't do very well at, I will just beat myself up, um, more than is helpful. Mm -hmm. And I've applied it a couple times after the fact. I think that there's, um, this isn't something that he said directly to me, but, um, one thing that I will do as I begin a podcast um, is to energetically feel love for the other person. Mm. That's powerful. And I do believe that that's a Buddhist practice is when you sit down with someone, um, you look at them and you you think the sentence, I love you. And by doing that, it can have this kind of – it can create a kind of energetic warmth um, that can give way to a better interview or just better interaction. Wow. That's cool. It's good, right? Do you, you do that in the interviews? Sometimes. If you remember. Yeah, sometimes. Remember. It can get you out of your own way. Yeah. Right? Because you want to be focused on the other person. You're doing a good job paying attention and asking good follow-up questions. You don't want to be in your own head thinking like, how how do I sound right now? Am I stupid? What does yeah. this person think of me? Like, again, the incentive of podcasting is pimping out the other person, making them look good. Yeah, and uh, I think that coming at it with an energy of love can help you get out of your own way. Right. It probably dampens down those fear aspects. Because yeah, a big thing for me is like, shit. I don't want to be. I don't want to blank on a question or right. have nothing. Yeah. You know, cause it, you have questions that are just running through your head, you know, the whole time and you're, they're coming and you're losing them. Yeah. But you don't, but that's the key, right? Like you don't want to focus on the negative. Yeah. Right. It's like Michael Jordan being like, why would I worry about a shot I haven't taken yet? Mm. Right. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the, the best athletes will talk about when they're in, their peak performance it's reminiscent of love like mm-hmm. i love the game i love being on the court right they're not thinking about what could go wrong and all the mess stuff that they could mess up they're just thinking about and feeling that emotion of just embodied love for what they're doing do you have questions do you do you have questions that pop into your head that you're like oh this is a great question and you know you're not going to be able to hold on to it, or do you- so one thing that happens as you podcast more and more is you begin uh, to it's it's strange you begin to develop a muscle mental muscle that allows you to bookmark questions mm-hmm. in your brain mm-hmm. because as the interviewer you have to bifurcate your mind yeah because you're here with me listening. But you're also thinking about what you're going to ask next. This, that seems like the hardest skill yeah. of all. And you and you just do it enough and you learn how to do that. And you also learn that if there's something that I said in this, you know, kind of bloviating rant, uh, 
that you want to go back to, you'll be able to bookmark that last question. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's a great word, bloviating. Yeah. I've never heard that. It's an onomatopoeia. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, is there, is there anything you want to add on that, on that part? Uh, yeah. I was going to ask you some technical questions. Sure. I don't spin it there yet. Yeah. Well, I, I think also, you know, just as we're talking about the craft of the interview, the second most important part of an interview is how you end it. Mm, yeah. Right. So you want to, you, um, you don't want to stumble about beginnings and endings. Yeah. You don't want to stumble across the finish line. Mm-hmm. So if you ask something that is uh, – and the guest gives you a really good answer mm-hmm. and you're close to your typical time limit, mm-hmm. finish it. Right. End it right there because people – that's what people will remember. Mm-hmm. I've done such great interviews where then I kind of stumbled across the finish line mm-hmm. and it didn't get nearly the feedback that it would have if we just – Boom, finished it on some powerful statement. So um, if I can get a really good last statement out of someone, I'll be like, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Is there a place that people can get in touch with you? And then they Mm -hmm. will say, oh, well, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at blah, 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 and social media, blah, blah, blah. And um, the benefit of doing that too is that then you don't need to say it in your outro afterwards, Mm -hmm. right? Like you – can, it can be self-contained, mm-hmm. but you want to get them to say it really quickly too. So the energy is still going. And then as you get into your outro, people will still listen to that. And I always play a song at the very end of my podcast that a listener will, um, will send in mm-hmm. and that hopefully can get people to stay with me until the end. Awesome. Yeah. How do you pick your music? Just listeners send, send it in. Okay. Yeah. So it's all, uh, contributed from the audience and then i send people to their band page and you know highlight them uh for for all all the audience um but usually also like if you can if you can end on either a laugh you know with like high energy mm-hmm. or you can end on some kind of real deep self-reflective moment that the guest gives you mm-hmm. And you and you've been asking good questions, right? So you've been like earning my trust throughout this experience. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you 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 now have a per, you have permission, and and you know take it or leave it if you want to do it. But you have developed permission through this interview to now ask me a more personal question, and that's also an intuitive aspect of podcasting. Is you need to feel what people are willing to get into, right? right? Because you don't want to step on a landmine by asking some super personal question and have them be like, fuck you, dude. I don't right. know. I don't know you. I'm going to shut down now. Right. So that's the real instinctual aspect of interviewing. Uh-huh. Um, but if it's, if it seems like we're having a good time, then you might want to end it with something like, you know, a little bit deeper and it doesn't need to be like, sad doesn't need to be like i was molested when i was a kid but like Mm. (laughs) yeah you know get people to talk about the love and like something that has heart and soul in it because that also is what everyone can relate to Mm -hmm. um with an interview even if they haven't had your life experience um they will relate to a feeling 
right? Like we all have this, these different sets of emotions and many of us have experienced the similar ones, right? Um, so that can be a really powerful way to do it. Another way that I like to ask questions is to get people to talk about a decision that they had to make. Like you asked me, what was the decision that I, that made me start podcasting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that got me into a conversation inside my head to talk about the decision. Like, what was it about YouTube videos that wasn't really doing it for me? What was it about podcasting that really was? And, uh, people relate to decisions as well Mm -hmm. because then it, it show it, I don't know, represents a kind of self ownership of one's life that can also be applied to, uh, to the audience's life. Mm-hmm. This is funny. Cause I, <clears throat> as you're talking about this, I'm like, shoot, this is a, this is a really good place. This is, this is where we end it. Like, <laughs> keep it going. Like, if you, uh, if you have, if you have more questions, keep, keep it going. Well, well I'm actually, um, you know, I don't want to take it back into the tech. You know, I wanted to get in the technical stuff of the gear, but you know what? I think everybody's, we can talk all day with, everybody about sure gear. yeah um oh, just real quickly i'll say i i keep all my shit in a backpack um and i use basically tim ferris's setup and he has a video uh, out on youtube called like my podcasting setup mm. that you can check out and it's all of his you know xlr cables and extra batteries and blah blah, blah and i just copy his setup um to a few hundred bucks and you'll have a totally professional home studio on the road nice um, yeah, I liked all your stuff. You know, I think a couple good points was, was having the extra battery backup. So you, you don't go down in the middle of the interview and backup XLR cables. Yes. Uh, you, you want all of your stuff to work so that you can think about the interview. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be, be tripped out wondering and, if your gear is going to break. Yeah. And that brings me up to a question I, I meant to ask earlier was what's your thoughts? You know, you, you don't video your interviews what's your thoughts you know because i'm i'm always thinking like well shoot maybe i should just put a camera up and then you, that way you can put the podcast up on youtube and yeah my podcasts at. do go up on youtube but they're just populated through a thumbnail and mm-hmm. i use a program called libsyn mm-hmm. um i pay i think 40 bucks a month and um it's it aggregates it out to all the other podcast platforms um and one of those platforms is youtube and it's just a thumbnail it's obviously better if you can get a video interview. And I know a lot of people who love Rogan's podcast because of the video component. Mm-hmm. They like watching the people talk. Yeah. Uh, for me though, it, uh, the most simple setup is best. And I just don't have the time to both upload. You, you would need to mix the audio files, right? Mix yep. the audio and video. So we're using this audio on an H6N and I would need to then import all that into Premiere or Final Cut mix the audio with a video, export that, uh, upload it to YouTube, title it. And it's just another thing that I have to do. Right. Um, and it also takes up a huge amount of memory. Video takes up a lot more memory than, than podcasts do. Mm-hmm. So the more simple setup, the better for me. So what I, so my process is uploading it to Libsyn mm-hmm. and then uploading it to my Squarespace site, Kyle.surf and putting a photo there tagging it correctly and then um, posting it on Instagram and sending an email out, Mm -hmm. which takes me from 
the time that I import like this audio into GarageBand and tag an intro on and an outro on, that usually takes me like oh 40 minutes because I do a spot wow. I do a sponsor read. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to sometimes like research, like I need to get the bio from the guest. I need to, um, get a good photo. I need to, so, and and just that intro. And then I need to find a song from a listener. I need to get a little voice memos that I have my, have audience, um, send in. That takes me like 40 minutes to an hour. Sometimes depending, I like to get stoned before I do that. Mm -hmm. That's because it's kind of a menial task and I will like go on a little rant if I'm high. Uh Um, and then from there, it usually takes me another hour, maybe, maybe another 40 minutes to get it like up on Libsyn and out on all the platforms. Takes you an hour to get, to get it out. Or is that, I I would say that like from the recording to it's out and it's out on all the, platforms it's like an hour and a half yeah yeah but sometimes i'll record a few podcasts and then i'll do a few intros outros and all like export it all yeah and then because i have podcasts now up for they're stacked they're stacked up for the next month at least Mm -hmm. um which is which is great because then i can kind of focus not have to think about the podcast for a month and focus on writing or another project Mm -hmm. so it actually makes it more sustainable to, mm-hmm. to not have to, it's not like I need to show up for the podcast every single day. Right. Cause I record, I release a podcast usually once every like four or five days. Okay. That's, that's a sustainable cadence for me. Now I was thinking, um, I was actually thinking, um, cause I'm tempted to throw a camera, you know, I do a lot of film work. So I'm always like, well, shoot, I could, you know, just hit record and put it on tripod and let it roll and not think about the quality or whatever, just that it's, there's something, but I'm always worried. Um, maybe that's going to distract me from the interview. Yeah. You don't want to be distracted, but from the interview, um, it probably wouldn't distract a guest cause it would just be a small camera that's set up there. Right. Usually like film crews will distract a guest. Right. Right. Uh, but for me, it's just consistency is what will get you get people to listen to your podcast. And I think that the more specific you can, um, make the subject matter of your podcast, the more success you'll have, uh, the more chances you'll have for success. Mm-hmm. Right. So like mine, is, mine is like surfing and all this other shit. Mm-hmm. Right. But just because I have surfing, I have a lot of surfers that will come and want to listen to the show. Um, whereas if it was just a podcast about a bunch of stuff, there's no reason for people to choose my show over the million other podcasts there are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that whatever your specific niche is, you, you focus on that and your audience will grow from there. Like you want to have a small group of diehard listeners mm-hmm. rather than a bunch of mild, you know, fair weather listeners. Mm-hmm. So I think that if, if, so have there be some kind of subject to your show, mm-hmm. um, that gets people there and then you can branch out and talk about a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, but, but I always just found that like, I mean, it's, can, it's fun. I love podcasting more than just about anything, but it's also a grind. Like yeah. you're beyond just the upload and stuff. Like I'm also having to book the guests and scheduling my life around their 
schedule and like having people cancel and is it's like it's a job you know so the this as simple as i can make it for myself as easy as i can make it for myself mm-hmm. the more likely i'm going to continue rather than just be like fuck this mm-hmm. and i know a ton of people who have started podcasts and been like fuck this is this is too much work, too much work. Yeah. yeah and i always knew that that adding a video component and having to put it into Final Cut and then export it and put it up to YouTube would, at bare minimum, be another hour of my time. Yeah. Every single podcast. Right. So, and I'd rather use that time, you know, trying to track down better guests. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, how do you think, um, can you talk about how podcasting, because I feel like, you're at, you're probably at a place where, you know, the little snowball is starting to pick up steam and get bigger and ro- and rolling down the hill, and and you've got uh, a good following that's accelerating. Um, what? How's it? How's this kind of changed your life? Speaking of podcasts, yeah, life. yeah, it's definitely changed my life a little bit. Um, it's. It's made my life way better. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like I have, uh, I've met a ton of close friends, people who I now consider close friends mm-hmm. through the podcast, mm-hmm. either because they were guests or they were listeners yeah. who have now become friends of mine. Um, it has become easier now to get into like to get guests. Like most people say yes to me now. Because mm-hmm. I say, like, hey, this is how many people we have listening, and these are some people who I've had on the show prior, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Because mm-hmm. I, I had about a decade of people mostly saying no to me, mm-hmm. not just with the podcast. A decade. I mean, for, I started when I was eighteen. Wow. You know, I started yeah. when I was eighteen and like trying to get funding for these short movies and mm-hmm. trying to get people to be part of these movies and like. I had some people who said yes to me and those, those people I will be forever grateful to. Mm-hmm. Jack Johnson was one, the musician. Oh, wow. He was in one of my earliest movies and he uh-huh. was, was just like, hell yeah, kid. I'm down to be in your movie and, oh, that's awesome. and it's going to get way more media as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And like the, you have a few of these real patrons early on who are like, yeah, let's do it. Because mm-hmm. I, I was there once too, right? Yeah. Um, but to be now in a position where like I have sponsors that I, that are behind me on the show who I really believe in and have cultivated a relationship with to have like a group of listeners who are genuinely rad people. Yeah. Like I've been on this trip through Colorado and I've been staying at mostly like (laughs) listeners houses who are rad people. And I, I consistently have the feeling like, Wait, you wait, what? Like you listen to my podcast? Like, dude, you're awesome. Like that's that's so cool. Like yeah. that is that is just so cool that like I've been kind of like putting this little beacon out into the universe like, yeah. "Hey, this is the shit I'm into." And people are like, "Dude, we are too." You know, and it doesn't crazy smart biologists. Right. I was just up in in northern Colorado staying with this crazy smart biologist, his badass adventurer, bow hunter. And uh, he listens to the show. So it's it's made my life better in that it 
um, has, I can now get into new worlds a lot more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from people who are like, yeah, we'll sit you know, sure. Like comedians, for example, like mm-hmm. I can interview like fairly famous comedians yeah. and that's a, I'm a big fan of comedy, not great at it, but You're I'm comedians, like, yeah. yeah, but I'm like, sweet. I get to interview Brian Callen right now. This yeah. is awesome. This is like a dream of mine. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's cool. Right. It's like the, you know, if you could it's have, incredible. it's like, if you could have lunch with anyone in the world question, yeah. like. I'm like starting to be able to do that right. with a lot of people who I've were on that like top five list of people I could have lunch with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sweet, right? Kind of crazy going from listening to them on podcasts and having to, it be one way yeah. to like you can actually to talking to them. Yeah, they're hearing you, and then so uh, and also to then sit in the room with them and be like, yeah, like I got this. Mm-hmm. Like I've been I've been doing this twice a week for the last three times a week for the last four and a half years. Like I can interview someone. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm as good at interviewing someone as I am at anything mm-hmm. because I put that time in. So to feel that kind of skill that's embodied mm-hmm. and then like sit down with someone and afterwards have them be like, damn, that was, that was good. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Right. And, uh, that's cool. And then to, as I've said, like the the muscle of curiosity that podcasting incentivizes is one that makes life a lot more rich. You, you really can choose to become a curious person, and if you want to host a podcast, you fucking better because it's gonna it's the only way that your your show is gonna be good is if you can develop like just an insatiable appetite for knowledge and like figuring out what makes people tick man like people are just they're so interesting and if you can like scratch at their soul a little bit and get and and ask them a question that no one has ever asked them before um it's it's beautiful it's 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 a truly as i said it's like it's a sacred experience and um man i feel honored to to be able to do it you know that's it's a it's so cool too because it's like a win-win-win situation right Mm -hmm. like i get to interview the person i have a blast they get to to get their message out to a uniquely different audience who they probably wouldn't get to talk to Mm -hmm. the audience then gets to get this information for free like no one needs to pay for it if they don't have the funds. Um, and then there's no weirdness between anyone. Like as, as we talked about before, it, it kind of takes away that plastification and that like idea that, you know, so, just someone who's accomplished something great or is famous or whatever is any different than the person listening. And, and, I, and that is, that's important because fame is not real. Like it, it it's, it's not real. I don't know how else to put it. And I think that listeners get that. So if like, if then the listener meets that person who was on the show, it's, or they meet me, you know, they're like, Hey, I heard you on Kyle's show or like, Hey, I love your podcast, but it's, it's not like, I've never had any like weirdness that I think people in other mediums get because I'm not 
pretending that I'm anything that I'm not. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, what <laughs> that's what makes people famous people kill themselves. Is <laughs> like this idea that it's this feeling that they're totally alone and they can't relate to anyone and no one really understands what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably the reason. I mean, I don't know Rogan, so I don't know how how he actually is, but he seems like a pretty stoked guy. Mm-hmm. And for being that huge, like that's that's rare, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that it's because he's he has like uh, still has a good friend group and is just honest. Mm-hmm. And I think he's genuinely curious. You know, he's he's really interested in the world. He's just and. Uh, you know, it's, it's been awesome hanging out with you the last couple of weeks because I see the same thing in you is that you're just genuinely really curious about stuff. Um, and you're kind of disciplined, you know, in sort of a similar way that, um, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna kind of get the most out of, out of everything and you want to get the most out of everything. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, it, it's been, uh, it's been inspiring, uh, hanging out with you. Cause you know, sometimes my discipline goes in and out and, and you, you're definitely one just super disciplined guy, um, on like, you know, interested in a lot of the same things that, that I'm, that fire me up as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we definitely have had some, some really cool conversations. I think that, um, I'm a big fan of, of implementing good habits mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I think that it's, uh, there's, discipline is like i almost i don't know i don't know that it's the right word because uh, you don't like the best discipline is the kind that's easy right where it doesn't feel like oh this is a grind this is work it's just like oh this is what i do sweet like uh, because it's my habit so every it's like it's like someone being like, are you like, like taking a shit in the morning is disciplined. <laughs> like, not really. It's just like what I do and it's good for happens. me. That just happens. Right. Yeah. So as much as you can make good habits feel like just taking a shit in the morning, mm-hmm. like a morning workout, for example, yeah. uh, th- the better your life will become because then you're not really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm big into like starting small and working your way up. I think that's a that's a mistake that people make is they try and go all out and like really meet stuff with like intensity and going 100% in and then they're like this I had a hard day. I'm over this, but it's it's the tortoise. Life is the tortoise, not the hare. I think that that's the approach that you want to take to it. Um so like if you're going to start a podcast, I would say have your goal be like one a week. You know, or if your goal is to like get to the gym, have it be like, I'm going to go once a week Mm -hmm. and then you'll fall in love with it and you'll find that you do it more and more. And now for me with podcasting, like if I don't do a a show for 10 days or something, it feels weird and it like, I don't like it. Like I like doing podcasts. It's one one of my favorite things. Uh Um, and if I'm ever going through a, a rough period. I think that podcasting is a really great way to get me out of that because it forces, you know, I've been talking about myself this whole interview, but, and, uh, appreciate you asking the good questions, but like as an interviewer, one thing that it can do is it makes you not think about yourself for like an hour and a half, which can be really liberating. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. You get out of your own head and thinking about all your, your own stuff. Yeah. It forces you. Yeah. I can see that. Well, shit, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> this You're is good. Super cool. You have a talent. Dude, I, I hope you do this. I can't think of, I can't think of a better person to have done my first podcast with because you know, the the I think you're so intentional and you you think so much on this stuff. I think you you give you've given this stuff so much thought. And no one asks me about it. <laughs> no one ever asked me about Nobody's the podcast. Asked you about no, I've never how, how I've never had works? people ask me about the podcast stuff. Oh my god. Yeah. Cuz you know, this is this is all the stuff that always goes through my head, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, how how do they approach this? How do you know? So, uh, I can't thank you enough for for you know, kind of setting me on a path right now. Uh, I'm I'm just super stoked and excited, um, and I can't wait to watch your path as well because you're on you're on a a little journey this summer. You're in Colorado, but you're going to be heading up to Wyoming. Um, next, and then who knows where? After Montana, that. Idaho. Yeah, but you know who knows because you weren't even supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah, and this has just been a diversion. So I, uh, I'm super grateful that that you made the diversion here, um, and that we could do all this and 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 meeting you has been just just awesome, man. Back at you, brother. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks. Uh, where can people uh, find find your stuff? Uh, they can go to my website, which is kyle.surf, not .com. Okay. Just kyle.surf. They can find everything there. Everything's there. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Everybody, Kyle Tierman Show. Uh, I just started listening to it, and it, it's uh, it's really impressive. You have a really wide range of guests, and they're all super interesting, which is not always the case with podcasts. So. I can't wait. Um, Cheers. Cheers. That's our show. I'm going to play out the song called Me and Baby Brother by Light the Band, and I will link to their band page in the show notes below. If you're a musician and you want your music played at the end of this podcast, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. Have a great day. Get out in the water, whatever body of water you are closest to. I promise it will make your day better. See you soon.
used to run together. 